Uh, good evening. Uh, thank you guys uh, for the prayers and just uh, for just your welcoming and hospitable spirit. Uh, I've always admired that about you guys that there's just been such a community at George's Creek. Like you don't get that everywhere that you go. Um, so it's a joy uh, to be uh, uh, to be with you guys tonight to be able to uh, lead you in the Word. Uh, so I'd ask you if you have your Bibles to open up to Acts chapter eight, and we're going to be beginning in verse four. That's Acts chapter 8, verse 4. So the subject of the sermon today is the marks of true faith. So the question that we're going to be considering is, how can I know uh, that the Holy Spirit has so worked in me that I have a true and saving faith, that I'm on the way of salvation? The text will show us uh, some marks. So keep that in mind as we read uh, the text now in verse 4 of Acts chapter 8. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you that you are not a God who is silent but you have revealed yourself to us. You've not left us in our darkness, but you've shined your light upon us.
upon us in Christ Jesus, that you've called us out of deadness and into life by the power of your Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we read your word today, that we'd be blessed with understanding, that we'd be able to comprehend what it's saying, and uh, to faithfully uh, amend our lives uh, to be transformed by it. So we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So imagine I brought with me someone today who was six foot five, 280 pounds. He could bench press a solid 450 pounds. He went out to practice six days a week or so. Uh, sometimes he threw around uh, this kind of oval-shaped ball. Uh, you know, and on Friday nights, whenever the high school was having these games, uh, he would go out and join them. Uh, what, what kind of person do you think that this would be? Well, you might be thinking all these marks, all these signs, perhaps indicate that it's a football player. You'd probably be right. It would be quite strange if I was not talking about a football player, actually. So we, in the same way, believers are marked by certain signs, certain attributes. So that's going to be the topic of of our sermon today. We're going to be examining some of these marks that we see in the text. So at this point in the book of Acts, for the most part, the gospel has only been preached in the realm of Judea and mainly Jerusalem, primarily to Jewish people. Um, And if, uh, if, if you know the book of Acts, that uh, the growth of the church has primarily happened in this area up to this point. So this is, this is kind of a groundbreaking moment in the book of Acts because for the first time the gospel is kind of breaking out of this area of Judea. It's coming to the Samaritans. Now if you remember back in the Old Testament, the Samaritans were the descendants of the northern kingdom of Israel. So you had the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Well, the northern kingdom was very unfaithful to the Lord. Not to, they, not to say that the southern kingdom wasn't also. But the northern kingdom, they turned their hearts away from the Lord, and they followed after idols. And there was really, that's kind of how they remained. There was no really repentance uh, uh, for, for the most part, on the, on the behalf of the northern kingdom. They remained in this state of turning away from the Lord. So the Samaritans are the descendants of these people. So by the time of Jesus' day, uh, the, northern, the people of the northern kingdom, the Samaritans, were kind of regarded as the, as the garbage of the earth. They were heavily looked down upon. Uh, basically nothing good comes out of uh, Samaria. Uh, so this is kind of a an amazing passage that God is showing that the gospel isn't just uh, for the faithful Israelites, but the gospel is going outside the bounds of what was expected. The gospel is coming even to those who broke the covenant, those who turned away from the Lord. God is offering in Christ a way back. And so in, in our text today, Luke showed that the true people of God are marked by certain traits. Today, true believers are marked by certain traits. So you may be struggling uh, with doubt today. You may be wondering, how can I know 
that the Holy Spirit has worked in me? How can I know that I have true faith, that I'm a part of the true people of God? Today, I believe that God's word can give you assurance because you can look to the promise of God given in Christ. And so as we examine ourselves, that's going to be my call, is to turn to the promise of God in Christ and to take hold of it by believing it. And so what are these marks of a true believer? These marks are joy, repentance, and a right heart. So first, the true believer is marked by joy. Uh, Come with me to verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So here... Samaria is this place that's bound in chains of darkness. There's demonic oppression. There's sickness. There's disease. These people have been lied to. They've put their hope in false gods for so long. And it's like they're just grasping for anything to give them hope. But now, Philip comes proclaiming a different God, a different kingdom than the ones that they have known before. He preaches the kingdom of Christ. He preaches the true Savior. And so when he comes preaching the word, he's casting out unclean spirits. All these miraculous signs and wonders are being done. And this is a sign that this isn't just anything that they've heard before, but this is something sent from God. And so when the gospel of Christ comes to these people, the people respond with pure joy. It says in verse 8, so there was much joy in that city. Even despite all the, the hardship and pain, they responded with joy in seeing the glorious news of the gospel. We know that cold water is inside a cup if condensation comes from the side, right? In the same way, we know that the Holy Spirit has worked faith in a person if joy is coming out of their life. Paul says that joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9 of his book says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he. So the prophet Zechariah expected that the coming of Christ would bring joy. And so uh, today we can apply this to our lives uh, simply in that if we see joy produced in our lives by the Holy Spirit, especially joy in the gospel of Christ and joy in God's word, then we can have great assurance. We can know that this is the work of God and we can we can be greatly uh, we can have greater confidence, uh, but also uh, sometimes this is just not the case in the life of the believer. Sometimes we don't experience uh, this this joy uh, like 
we know that we sometimes should. And uh, whether it's seasons of suffering, seasons of despair, seasons of loss, uh, sometimes we just don't experience this kind of joy. And this is not meant to be uh, condemning to you if, if this is the case for you today. Because you can simply come and lay your head upon the bosom of Christ. You can give to him your cares and your concerns. You can offer him uh, all your pain, and he will take you in. That's his promise, that he won't leave you or forsake you. And you can uh, find uh, hope in him, even if you're not experiencing this this joy that we're talking about. Um, So, not only are believers marked by joy, but believers are marked by repentance. We see this in verses 9 through 13. Uh, So in verse 9, there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. Now, in in the ESV and uh, in in a lot of other translations, this in, in verse 10 where it says, this man is the power of God that is called great, Great is capitalized uh, because it's probably referring to uh, this divine being. So it's very possible that Simon even proclaimed that he was God incarnate uh, or that he was the Messiah figure that would come to deliver the Samaritans from their darkness and oppression. Uh, So in, in a very real way, Simon was... Uh, setting up himself in the place of Antichrist, the one who stands in the place of Christ, uh, the one who uh, is calling the people to hope in him, to trust in him, rather than our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so uh, we, we again see that there's just this great, these great lies that are circulating among the Samaritans, primarily led by this man, Simon, it says, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Uh, But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, both men and women. So whenever the gospel is proclaimed, whenever these people hear the word of hope, whenever these people uh, are experiencing the life-giving effects of God's kingdom coming, uh, they turn away from the lies. They turn away from the darkness. They turn away from the magic tricks that they had been amazed by in the past, and they come to Christ. And so they turn away from those things, showing a picture of repentance, uh, because repentance is turning away from that old life of sin and turning to God to do righteousness, to do good and to love him rather than to love sin and darkness. And so even though this is an imperfect process in the believer, even though we fail often, it's more of a position of the heart. I'm turning away from sin and turning to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who delivers me from sin. And so this is exactly what the people do. They turn away from the lies. They turn away from their sin, and they turn to Christ. And this is symbolized in their baptism. Uh, that uh, they 
they put, their, their sin is put to death and they're raised to newness of life. That's the symbol of baptism. It's repentance, turning away and coming in to new life. And so this is, this is what happens uh, when they hear the good news and they believe it. And so it says, even Simon himself believed, and after, seeing, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So up to this point with Simon, uh, we, don't, we don't exactly know uh, the, the content of his repentance because, uh, unfortunately, it is a possibility for someone to profess faith and to profess repentance and for it not to be true. And so we're going we're gonna to dig into that in the next point. But uh, for now, let's leave it at uh, the true people of God are marked by repentance. Uh, we, we see an example of this in the book of Jonah when uh, the prophet Jonah, even though he comes unwillingly, he preaches the word to uh, to the Ninevites, and these are a very evil people. Uh, they just did very cruel things in the ancient world. But when Jonah comes and he basically says, God is going to destroy you in 40 days, so sorry, bye. <laughs> the people genuinely repent. They tear their clothes and they turn away from their sin. And you know, there wasn't much hope in that message, but they turned away. They, they genuinely come to repentance. They turn away from their sin to the living God. And uh, this, this is an example of what the believer's life is like day to day. And uh, so I just want to give you the admonition today that if you see that your life is marked by repentance, by turning away from sin, by a genuine effort to turn away from the works of darkness, that you can have assurance that uh, you can have a great hope in Christ. Uh, because in, in a lot of ways, the life of the believer is doing again and again what you did at the first, was just to take hold of the gospel promise given in Christ and to repent and believe the gospel, to continue to turn away and to continue to entrust yourself to Christ. So uh, if you see that, then you can have great joy and great hope uh, as a result. Uh, but you may be experiencing doubt as well. I mean, you may be uh, conflicted in your heart. I mean, a lot of times my heart does love sin, unfortunately. Uh, so what, what do we do when times of doubt come? Uh, we come to the promise of Christ because he offers himself to you. And he says that none who come to him, he's going to cast out, uh, but he's going to raise it up on the last uh, so the continued promise of God is that if you come to Christ with faith and with repentance, he'll receive you. Uh, so this can be our hope today, uh, and we, we, can, we, can have, uh, we can have great assurance as a result. So true believers are marked by joy. True believers are marked by repentance. But also true believers are marked by a right heart. So we, we sort of come into an interesting scene in church history. 
Uh, because usually in the book of Acts, we, when we see people who believe the word and are baptized, by this point they already have the Holy Spirit at work in their lives and hearts. We see the Holy Spirit doing all these amazing things. But for some reason, the people have believed and are baptized, and they haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. Uh, so Peter and John come down from Jerusalem, and they pray for the Samaritans to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, so it's not like uh, we have this uh, gift today that we can just give the Holy Spirit to whoever we want to. Uh, but this is probably just a, a special time in church history um, because it, it highlighted the unity of the Jerusalem church with the Samaritan church. There's not two peoples of God, uh, but there's one people of God. There's one church. So the laying on of hands, the bestowal of the Spirit, is, is sort of the sign of this. Uh, so, uh, but Peter and John come down. They start laying their hands on, on the Samaritans. And uh, Simon sees this. when He sees the Holy Spirit descending on people whenever, whenever uh, Peter and John lay hands. And Simon says, wow, that's a really cool magic trick. I wish that I could do that. Uh, so what he didn't understand is that the Holy Spirit is not just something that you can manipulate at will. But the Holy Spirit is true living God. Uh, not just a magic trick. Uh, So he completely misinterpreted this, and we can kind of see into the state of his heart here. Uh, When when we see in verse 13 that he's amazed at the signs and the miracles of Philip, uh, we we start to kind of question, is is this faith even real to begin with? I mean, it says he believed uh, and that he was baptized, but what did he really believe in? Uh, Maybe he was just amazed uh, but we don't really see the content of his faith. And now this, this comes out more clearly uh, when, when he, he gets jealous of this gift of giving the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so come with me to verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give, this power, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. Now this is sort of a mild way of putting it. Uh, The language of Peter was a lot stronger. Uh, It's actually, he's invoking a curse. Uh, And so this this is very strong language for Peter to use uh, with Simon, but it's because he's taking this sin so seriously. He's saying, if you continue in this state that you're in, you're not on the way of salvation, but you're actually on the way to destruction if you continue in this way. Even though you've believed, and even though you've been baptized, uh, you're on the way to destruction because of your sin. You thought that you could just manipulate or buy the Holy Spirit, but you're actually just using the Christian faith for your own personal advantage. He says in verse 21, You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. So Peter just zeroes in, shoots past all the, all the fog, and comes to Simon's heart. He puts 
he puts the pressure on the issue, seeing that his heart is not in a right place. It's not just a problem of the question he asked. It's not a question of how he said it. Uh, but it's a heart problem. He's trying to use the Christian faith for personal advantage. Uh, Thomas Watson said that the hypocrite carries the Bible under his arm, but not in his heart. And so the, the question that I would submit to you today is, what, why have you come uh, to, to call yourself a Christian? I would ask you to examine your heart. Are you trying to use the Christian faith for some sort of personal gain? Maybe it uh, is so that you won't uh, look abnormal in a somewhat Christian culture, but decreasingly so. Uh, or or are, is there any sort of other social uh, advantage that the Christian faith might bring you uh, so you don't look weird in front of friends and family? Uh, or maybe it's your get-out-of-hell-free card. Or maybe you can use God as your personal therapist, the one who solves all your problems. Or maybe your personal Santa who can get you all the gifts that you want. People, people use, people think that they can use God in these ways, that if they can just uh, do enough good stuff, if they can just say the right prayers, then uh, God will just give them what they want. He'll give them a good life. And uh, so this is just a completely wrong-headed way of thinking about the Christian faith. Because we don't come uh, to Christ uh, for any of these reasons. We come to Christ because we entrust ourselves in his promise of salvation. We know that he is our only deliverer from sin. He is the one who can save us from that which is destroying us. He's the one that can restore us to who we are meant to be. And he's the one who can bring us forgiveness of, his sin, of sins through his sacrifice on the cross for sin and through his glorious resurrection. And so, uh, faith in Christ is not about personal gain or personal advantage, but it's about coming to Christ for Christ himself, with love, entrusting yourself to God with all of your being. Uh, Simon was in the gall of bitterness, the bond of iniquity. He was still in chains to his sin. His heart was bitter and turned away from the Lord, which is some Old Testament language there. Uh, but Peter offers to him hope that if he repents, if he turns away from this sin, uh, that he can find forgiveness from the Lord. And so uh, I want to leave you today with uh, just these reminders that the true believer, the true people of God, they're marked by joy, by repentance, and by a right heart. So look into your life today and search, search out your heart. And if you have doubt, come again to Christ. Believe in his promise, and you can have assurance and hope today. Uh, so I'm going to close out in prayer and we'll, we'll move out. But thank you guys so much uh, for the opportunity once more. Uh, it's such a joy. Dear God, we thank you that you've given this word to us. We thank you that you have spoken. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we search out our hearts. 
Lord, I pray uh, that you'd bring us again to the foot of our Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the promise that has been given to us and that we thank you that we can renew repentance and faith today and that we can have assurance as a result. So I pray that this word would have a powerful impact to transform our hearts and lives and to call us uh, continually more so out of darkness and into your glorious light until we're finally raised up with you on the last day and we shall always be with the Lord. Lord, so this is our hope and this is our uh, joy. We thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen.